Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 14 of Positions Net. I'm your host, Grant Peters, the founder of Auto Racing Analytics. Joining me again this week, back from Formula Student Racing, my co-host, Ben Amato, Legends car driver and mechanical engineering student from the Northeast. Ben, so happy to have you back because I'm super excited to talk about this Kansas race. I was there in person. We saw what is more than likely, almost definitely, the best race of this season. And personally, I believe it to be the greatest NASCAR race, not even NASCAR, just greatest race I've seen in general. How are we feeling after this one? Yeah, man, I think that was, um, I think that race was probably better than anything I probably expected going into it for sure. I mean, I think like it, it had everything. It had good tire fall off. It had pit strategy, had lots of action uh racing for the lead all throughout the pack it was just all around like perfect nascar race absolutely absolutely i gotta say i've been saying this for a while i've been trying to i've been having to make the joke that kansas speedway is the best mile and a half and like try and like make that stretch but i don't think i have to make the stretch anymore i think we can Mm -hmm. all just look at it and be like this this is as good as it gets yeah no i mean I think really the only competition was like Homestead, maybe Vegas, but really more just Homestead. But yeah, after this race, it might be time for Homestead to give up that crown of best mile and a half. And Homestead is still good. I'm not taking anything away from Homestead, Miami. But Kansas Speedway is up there now too. And that really just makes me so happy. And I said this a couple weeks ago, coming off of the Circuit of the Americas race. I think we need to put more stock into, it's not the car, it's the track. And don't get me wrong, there's things we can change about the car. But when you stick any, pretty much any race car on a good racetrack, you'll get a good race, regardless of the car that you have out there. You think about Homestead Miami, you think about this version of Kansas Speedway, the progressive banking, the worn-out surface, it wears tires. We had a second and a half of tire fall off this weekend, guys. Um, the way that it works, the high line is dominant, so... In order to make a pass, you got to run the bottom. Bottom's the shorter distance, so it's actually possible to get down there and make the pass. But if you do it, you're going to lose a whole bunch of momentum. Just the way that racing, that style of racing works with the slide jobs and then the crossovers, that's how racing on a mile and a half is supposed to be. And if that's what a cookie-cutter mile and a half is going to be, then give me more cookie-cutter mile and a half. Now, mind you, there really aren't any other cookie cutter mile and a half that are cut from that specific cutter um, because Vegas is not the same as Kansas and Atlanta is gone and it never was the same as Kansas and uh, Kentucky Kentucky would not do this guys this isn't a mile and a half thing this is just how Kansas Speedway is built the closest thing to Kansas Speedway is Homestead now is this the time to scream bring back Chicagoland maybe Um, but yeah gotta love Kansas Speedway and just the way that that track races I'd like to see it as the championship race, but I got some more thoughts on that before we, before, you give your thoughts on that. And then I'll explain maybe where my head's at on why this race was so good. Yeah, I would be a little hesitant to have it as the championship race only because I think a big factor in how good this race was, was the, the temperature. Uh, I think it was like 90 degrees in Kansas this weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Bingo! Ben Amato, you are such a genius. That's exactly where I was about <laughs> to go, guys. Um, it was really, 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 really freaking hot outside. It was unbelievably hot. Um, 
it wasn't in the hundreds yet, but for May, it was very, very hot. Mm. And so when you get that high track temperature, that's lower grip. And this is where my next point is going. Look at how good our mile and a half racing is when we can take just a little bit of grip away from these cars. Just a little bit. Imagine, imagine if we're running a groove tire with maybe, ah, I'd leave all the aero stuff the same. We run a grooved tire, maybe take a little bit of spoiler out of it. Maybe. I'm not entirely sold on that. And we give them just another 100 horsepower. Imagine what we would have, not just here, but at so many other racetracks. It'd be amazing. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think even with just the groove tired, you could even keep the horsepower as it is, since I know they're probably not going to budge you on that. You definitely could. You definitely yeah. could. Yeah, so I mean, I think even if you just do the groove tire and just leave the horsepower where it is, you probably still get a pretty consistently great product on most of the mile and a half tracks, and obviously the short tracks too. Absolutely, absolutely. And I really, really hope that they can make that happen at some point. Um, because this weekend's race was absolutely amazing and I'd love to see more of that. Um, as far as my thought on Kansas being a championship race, I'd love to see it. Um, but that's not going to work because the championship race is in November and we will do a podcast during the off season, add this to the list of off season topics for whoever's keeping track of those, um, about what the NASCAR ought to do with the schedule. And I was never serious about putting the finale at Kansas, but now I am. And now I want to make it happen. And uh, if we were to make that, if that were to happen, we would have to move the finale further up in the season, which maybe is the right thing to do to finally uh, get away from the NFL season. We do a little bit of summer midweek action or something. I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see about that uh, when the time comes. Let's get into this race a little bit in particular. Ben, fastest car of the day was indeed our race winner, Denny Hamlin, uh, Permian lap rank. He had 0.13% over Martin Trex Jr. and a full half a percent over the uh, runner-up, Kyle Larson. Um, if we go over to the fourth quarter median lap, it was Larson over Hamlin by just 0.08%. What did we see from the cars this weekend? Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, uh, it looks like Denny Hamlin was... Uh, Pretty much the best car of the day. Obviously, the median lap rank uh, supports that. Um, you had Martin Truex Jr. there, who was second in median lap rank, who was also really fast all day. It was he and Denny had pretty much kind of just pulled away from everyone and were kind of having their own little battle up front um, until I think Truex had some issue on one of the restarts. I think late in the race uh, that kind of had him falling back a little bit. Um, and he obviously ended up not getting uh, the finish that he probably deserved. But, yeah, I mean, Denny was really good all day. Martin Truex was good. Kyle had that great comeback from getting spun by Tyler Reddick. Um, so, yeah, I mean, good, definitely good race for some of those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take a moment to, uh, to talk about Mr. Kyle Larson. Gets spun out on lap seven and comes back to eventually be leading kind of in control of this race and eventually loses it in an incredible battle uh, with Denny Hamlin. I wanted to go over and look at the restart side for Kyle Larson. Um, This weekend, he picked up 14 spots on the restarts, 
um, and retained position eight out of 10 times. A very solid weekend uh, for Larson on the restarts. Um, he did not gain the most starts, the most positions this weekend. That honor goes to Michael McDowell with 22 positions net um, on the day. On the day? Yes, Michael McDowell gained 22 positions on the day at Kansas Speedway. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, he was on it. He was very much on it. And yeah, no, now I know why he was so excited to see those restart net uh, results on your I know, Twitter he was, there. He was really on me to get them together. I'm like, <laughs> man, I am so far behind on getting out the restart values. And so I sat down and took the time to finally get them updated for the full season. And it makes sense now why he wanted that, because he picked <laughs> up a lot at Kansas. We'll get to the restart data eventually. But right now, I want to take a moment to talk about William Byron. Because that man had one heck of a day um, that really sums up the improvement that that 24 team overall, and particularly Byron as a driver, has made. Um, they struggled very early on in this race. They were extremely loose. They hit the wall twice early on and then had to repair the damage, sped on pit road. He was down two or three laps, mm -hmm. makes all that back, gets the car hooked back in. And at the end of the day, finds himself with the second fastest lap of the race that's just 0.002 seconds off of Kyle Larson's fastest lap of the day. William Byron has been criticized for not being able to close out races. That was not a thing this weekend. He came home with a third place finish um, after starting the day off just absolutely nowhere, despite sitting on the, or despite sitting. Did he sit on pole? Yeah, he did. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, this was that was a pretty big result for that team um, because this kind of race is kind of really what uh, championship level teams are able to do. You know, this is the kind of thing that um, that forty eight team with Jimmy and Chad Knauss used to do back in the day all the time. So when they'd have, you know, they'd be off in a race early on, they'd stick with it, work on it all day, and then. You know, by the end of the day, or sometimes even just by halfway, you'd see that car racing for the lead. Um, so the ability to do that when, you know, you know your car is not where you want it at the beginning of the race, and the ability to kind of stick with it, make adjustments. Um, you know, obviously, they, they got helped with a lot of the, the natural cautions that we kind of had throughout this race. Uh, they're able to obviously come back from three laps down, get back on the lead lap, uh, had some great pit stops um, from their pit crew, gained a lot of spots on pit road. Um, you know, when he first kind of got back on the lead lap, obviously having that first pit stall, uh, was a big advantage too, but yeah, they were able to get that track position on pit road and, uh, you know, then run some pretty good laps, um, had a monster restart on, um, I'm not sure if it was the second to last restart of the race maybe, but had a monster restart and gained like five positions, went straight to the lead and then obviously just couldn't hold off Kyle Larson and Denny Hamlin at the end there, but Great overall day for that team. Um, good bounce back. And, you know, that's the kind of day that the championship caliber teams are able to have. Absolutely. William Byron starting to make himself look more and more like a Final Four championship threat every single week. Uh, I want to take a moment to shout out a few guys who had good runs this weekend that I maybe wasn't expecting so much before we talk about the implications of this race as a whole going forward. Um, first up on that list for me, is the uh, fifth place finisher Ross Chastain. Now, 
obviously Ross Chastain running fifth on a mile and a half shouldn't really shock anybody. Um, that car on the season is second on the intermediate tracks per median lap rank. In this race, he had the sixth fastest car per median lap rank and the third fastest car per best lap rank. Those are all really good numbers. Um, so why am I bothering to shout out Ross Chastain? Well, here's why. Chastain finished fifth with a car that was the 12th fastest in the fourth quarter, despite having a little bit of contact with uh, and s- some, some issues that could have potentially put him behind the eight ball. And among all of this, gained a total of 19 positions on restarts today, uh, 19 positions on restarts this Sunday. That's a really solid day right there, getting exactly what they needed to get out of that car, despite the fact that it, it tried to get away from him at the end and he just didn't let it go. Yeah, definitely a good day for uh, the one team. Uh, just another team that is able to kind of stick with it. Um, we're really fast early on in the day. Um, we're battling for the lead uh, early in the first stage and seemed to kind of then fall back. I think through the most of the second stage, he was running like just right at the back end of the top 10. Um, so it definitely seemed like they lost some speed after that uh, first stage. But similar to the 24 team, they're able to just kind of stick with it and just grind out a good finish with a car that maybe wasn't as fast as the finish would suggest. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, Here's another thing. Have you listened to uh, Actions Detrimental yet this week? I have. Uh, Do you think that the Ross and Denny feud is actually over or not? I can't seem to tell. uh, Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty much buried for the time being. I mean, they kind of, they talked it out. Great news. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think they seemed like they talked it out. Um, Obviously, from what Denny said, uh, it's definitely over on his end. And I don't think Ross cares either way. I think Ross is just going to be Ross regardless of who it is he's dealing with. And, um, you know, regardless of what history he has with that person, I think he's just going to be the way he is. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think as far as a feud, so to speak, goes between them, I think it's over. Um, wouldn't be surprised if he runs into Denny again, because those two are going to be racing together up front for pretty much the whole season. So I wouldn't be surprised if something kind of reignites there, but I think for the time being, it's done. Ross got plenty of other people to feud with now. Outstanding. That's what I was saying. Now we can focus on Gregson. Moving (laughs) away from, uh, Chastain. Right behind him, the sixth-place finisher, Joey Logano. It's been a struggling few weeks for Team Penske and Ford as a whole. Um, but this weekend, Logano gets a solid finish. Last weekend, it was Ryan Blaney getting a solid finish. Those Penske cars, I don't know why the inconsistency, but two weeks in a row now, somebody's been able to get a good finish despite Logano having the 14th fastest car. Blaney actually ran pretty well today. Um, I don't know what knocked him down to a sixth place finish, maybe just a, a poor restart sequence at the end or something, maybe a bad pit stop. I can't really remember, but that was the 12th fastest car in the field, uh, per median lap rank, a solid step forward, I believe this weekend for team Penske. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously they want to be running up front with Gibbs and Hendrick, but with as far off as Ford has been overall. Uh, that's probably not really a reasonable expectation right off the bat. So just seeing any sort of in- incremental improvement from f- the four teams on these types of tracks would be good. And I think that's what Penske saw. Um, obviously, I'm sure we'll touch on Stuart Haas in a little bit, but 
They didn't that's exactly. That's where we're going right now. Thing. So if you just, if you want to go straight into Stuart Haas, go right ahead because that's the next thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, um, they talked about it on BBC. Um, I forget if maybe Freddie mentioned that the 14 was legit the slowest car on track and not quite, not, not quite. quite. Um, median lap rank, the 14 was the second slowest car. The 14 has a uh, median lap rank that is 4.16% off the fastest. And the 78 car was over a percent behind Briscoe. But the 14, for reference, was slower than the 51. Directly ahead of the 51 is the 41, then the 2, and the 15. Guys, the 15 car was faster than a Penske car and two Haas cars. And right in front of the 15 is the 6 and then the 7. That's a really strange list of slow cars. Yeah, no, that's um, it's really bad news if you're a Stuart House racing fan. Um, luckily for them, I guess Eric Almirola and Kevin Harvick both had decent speed. Um, but yeah, no, I mean for for Chase Briscoe and for Ryan Priest to be that slow, you know, in the realm of the Rick Ware racing and the Live Fast teams. Um, no, don't even get me started on Austin Sindrick. Um, yeah, that's just, that's I would just like really to get bad. you started on Austin Cindric cause we've got a Penske car down there as well. Um, yeah, just go ahead. There's, there's two Haas cars and a Penske car slower than the Rick Ware racing 15 go. What are your thoughts on that one? Yeah. I mean, I think part of what it goes to show is that with this next gen car, uh, even these big teams are liable to be slower than a small team like Rick Ware Racing when they really miss the setup, which I think is a good thing because that kind of reminds me how it was uh, in the old days with the Gen 4 car where you would see someone like Dale Earnhardt Jr. just running 34th just because they missed the setup that badly. Um, now, obviously, that was before teams really knew how to manipulate aerodynamics, so that kind of thing was more possible. And so I think the next gen's bringing some of that element back which again, I think is a good thing. But if you're Stuart House Racing or if you're Team Penske with uh, Austin Sindrick there, even RFK seeing Brad as far down as he is, um, you got some problems there for sure. I mean, all these, all of them are slower than Ty Dillon in the 77, which is, I mean, come on. <laughs> no. Oh, no. That's, that's not great. That 77 has nah. been dreadfully slow at times this year. Yep. Um, but this weekend, they put together a solid run. So, I mean, hats off to them. But, yeah, I mean, we, we got to give Austin Cindric a little bit of credit. He did hit the wall at some point. So, maybe that car mm. was a little bit reduced by that. But um, we still got outpaced by a Rick Ware racing car. Yeah. So, that one's kind of hard to excuse. We'll move yeah, away think... from the – say what? I was just going to say, I think Cindric's issue, because obviously last year, you know, when the Team Penske cars had a little bit more speed, uh, Cindric was obviously putting in much better results. And I don't think he's fallen off as a driver this much. I think it's just an issue of um, he hasn't really learned how to just kind of take what the car has and just try to get the best finish he can out of it. I think he, if I had to guess, I would think that he's probably just trying to push too hard with this car. Um, and, you know, not having a ton of speed. I think he's just trying to, like, will that car to run better than it can and getting himself into trouble because of it, you know? Yeah. And you see, you see his veteran teammates, Joey Logano and Ryan Blaney, taking cars that aren't very fast and just finishing 
more or less where they should, maybe a couple positions higher, if they get good pit strategy or whatever. That's the kind of thing you have to do uh, in the Cup Series when your cars aren't where they need to be. That's something that Joey Logano has been great at. Like I think, I think if Penske had been has had been faster the last few years, we'd be looking at Joey Logano in a completely different light than I think a lot of people look at him right now. Um, and that's just because you know Team Penske hasn't been all that fast the last few years, and uh, Joey's just been kind of getting the best results he can in those cars. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I uh, I, I kind of think that you might be onto something with Cindric pushing too hard. But I got one guy that for years, for years, has pushed too hard. He's not pushing too hard this year and deserves a shout-out again this weekend. It feels like we talk about him every single week, but it's because he's earned it. And that's my man, the Hall of Famer himself, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Pulled out a 12th place finish this week uh, with a 47 car that ranked all the way down in 19th per median lap rank. Uh, In the fourth quarter, they got it up to 16th. But still, to come away with a 12th place finish, very impressive from Stenhouse. Ben, anybody else that you want to shout out from this weekend before we go into this race as a whole? Um, no, I think we pretty much hit everyone. I mean, maybe Bubba Wallace. I mean, finally having a getting a good result uh, with a nice uh, fourth yeah. place finish there. For uh, sure, yeah. Bubba got a good a good result this weekend. Median lap rank. That was a fast car, fourth fourth fastest car for median lap rank, and put it right yeah. where it belonged. Yeah, and I mean, they've had better speed than what their finishes have indicated this year, for sure. You know, they've had a lot of pit road issues from both the driver and the pit crew, uh, and just some mistakes similar to what they were dealing with at the beginning of the year last year as well. Um, and hopefully they get that straightened out sooner rather than later and can make a push at the playoffs. Um, I think right now he's about six points below the cutoff line. Excuse me. Yeah. So, um yeah, it's unfortunate yeah. because I feel like Bubba, this has kind of been the story of his last, I don't know, two seasons in the Cup Series now. If It's like they have a lot more speed than they've actually been able to showcase for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's just, I think it's just, honestly, I don't really know what it is. I mean, obviously, they, it's a lot of mistakes on pit road, really. I mean... Pit crew making mistakes, Bubba making mistakes on pit road. Um, you know, he's also had a couple spins and stuff like that. Um, like you think back to Atlanta and uh, you think back to Coda as well. Um, so, you know, just probably similar to Cindric at some points where he's maybe just trying to push too hard to get results because he knows he's in good equipment and should be getting results and he's just kind of making him maybe overdrive a little bit and get himself into trouble. It's hard to say exactly what it is, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully they'll get that ship kind of righted. It seems like they're kind of um, off to a good start with that, getting a fourth place finish at Kansas. Um, so yeah, we'll see what that team can do in the next few weeks. Obviously, they have the speed. so Absolutely. And we'll get into Bubba Wallace here very shortly um, because he is currently leading a, a statistical category. That is very notable. Um, so he's going to get his time in the sun here in just a moment. But first, we got to f- wrap up Kansas as a whole and the implications of this on the whole season. If we haven't seen it enough already at Dover and then at Las Vegas and then previous to that at Auto Club, this season we're going to see a lot of, particularly on these intermediate tracks, Gibbs versus Hendrick. 
And mm-hmm. one of them is going to be better on the long run and one of them is going to be better on the short run. And it seems that usually the Hendrick cars are better on the short run and the Gibbs is better on the long run. Um, but that can kind of flip flop from week to week. And I think that's kind of kind of be the main story. I think every so often you'll get the 2311 cars popping up in there. And every so often you'll get the, the track house cars in there as well. And maybe Kyle Busch. And I think that's going to be kind of your main core group of guys on these mile and a half. Unfortunately, it, it seems like a, a Penske car or a Roush car hopping up in there is going to be a rare occurrence at best. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so that for Ford, that really just means they have to take advantage of the tracks that they're competitive on, which is the short tracks and the super speedways, right? So that means, you know, whenever we're at uh, like a Talladega, Daytona, uh, or Martinsville, Richmond, somewhere like that, uh, Ford's really got to be on their game in terms of execution. You know, teams like Team Penske and Stuart Haas, they have to make sure that they're hitting all their marks on pit road. Uh, drivers have to make sure they're not speeding, making sure that they're executing on restarts because they're not really going to have as many chances to to win races as Chevy and Toyota are going to have this year. So when they have that speed, it's going to be really important for them to execute yeah, definitely. And we've mentioned this before in previous weeks that Kevin Harvick has been leading uh, the median lap rank in non-drafting ovals. After this week, that reign comes to an end as Larson and Hamlin pass him. He drops to third with Chastain fourth, followed by Byron. Um, so the Fords losing pace significantly. Harvick is still tied at the top on the short tracks, though. So there's definitely hope. Um, but yeah, you're, you're right. They're going to just have to to really focus on nailing their strengths. And we've talked about this before, but the Cup Series is really a series of specialization now of that if you can really, really excel at one thing and you can win there, then it's worth being good at. Um, and that'll, that'll, uh, th- that will in turn give you the good results in the final standings if you can just excel at one thing and find, find what that is. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think I almost wonder if, some of these four teams are better off, you know, more or less punting on some of these mile and a half races and just kind of focusing on being as prepared as possible for the short track races and for the super speedway races. Cause I mean, I'd love, I'd love to say that they could do that. But unfortunately, if you look at the schedule, there's just not enough short tracks before the playoffs for that many Ford teams to punt on mile and a half racetracks and focus on short tracks. You think about they have gateway and then they have New Hampshire and Richmond and that's it. They got three cracks at it. And other than that, it's short tracks and road court or it's, uh, it's big ovals, uh, road courses and super speedways, a lot of road courses in this summer stretch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm, I don't really know that there's anything they can do about their disadvantage on mile and a half right now. Cause it seems like an arrow thing. Um, primarily, you know, with just the shape of the body and the, like the front fascia area. Um, and they can't really change that at this point. So it might just maybe not so much punting on the mile and a half, but just, um, trying to minimize the negative impact of those races and then trying to go all in on, you know, the, like I said, the super speedways and the short tracks and maybe even on the road courses, just because um, the arrow obviously isn't as important on a road course either. So if there's anywhere that they were going to gain some ground um, where they haven't been great this year, 
I would think it would be a road course. Yeah, and and like kind of what you're saying there, like the way Joey Logano's team approached Kansas this weekend of just take the points when we can get them, the whole staying out to win that stage and just accepting mm-hmm. that they're going to start at the back for stage three anyway. I think those are the kind of moves that they're all going to have to make of just they're coming to mile and a half tracks to try their best to gather as many points as they can. And that's going to be however many it is. And track position is going to have to fall by the wayside in favor of snagging any points opportunities that are on the table. Exactly. They're just going to probably have to sacrifice the overall result in some cases um, so they can get stage points and maybe get some stage wins too, just to minimize that damage. Absolutely. I think that pretty much sums up um, the incredible, incredible race that we had out at Kansas Speedway this weekend. Um, Before we want to go on, or before we completely move on from Kansas Speedway, though, you didn't happen to watch the truck race, did you? I caught parts of it, but I didn't watch it from flag to flag. I see. I see. Well, I just wanted to take a moment to appreciate a particular video from that truck race. Just just one clip that I found to be quite hysterical. If you haven't seen it yet, whatever the lap, whatever wreck it is, where the four truck absolutely plowed. Oh my God. Oh my yeah. goodness. <laughs> that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. It was, it was bad. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It was not good. But I was sitting there watching that happen. As the crash is going on and the four truck comes in like seven seconds later, I turn to my little brother sitting next to me. I'm like, he's going to plot. What is he? No, no. And then he just smokes. I'm like, what are we doing here? But it happens. I don't know if the spotters didn't tell him what was going on or if he just couldn't see around the headrest that there was a car sliding down the track. But that just really didn't work out too well. I would be willing to bet this is a case of a driver not looking far enough ahead because um you'd be surprised honestly how easy it is especially for less experienced drivers to kind of get locked in on whatever truck or car is right in front of them kind of get fixated on the bumper and not really look down the track to see what's happening farther out in front of them and give them more time to react Uh, more often than not honestly when you see a driver who tends to get caught up in a lot of wrecks that's a lot of times kind of the reasoning for it um you know, especially if they're new to that series. I mean, obviously, that's not the case with Chase Parody. He's been around for a couple of years. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if this is just a case of um, he's not looking far enough ahead and just wasn't able to kind of process everything that was happening in front of him quickly enough and, you know, make better decisions to get through that wreck. It's so unfortunate because he had it, he literally had, had it completely missed. He was through the wreck. He's on the apron. He's going at a reasonable speed. If he just hits the brakes and then takes the car to the right, he misses the 19 truck and he's through it completely. Mm-hmm. But yeah, really unfortunate <laughs> situation there. I don't know how else to describe it. That's yeah. not, not a great look. Um, yeah, it happened. So thought we'd touch on it. Anyway. Let's move on to, uh, I think we're going to go to the restart data now, which will be getting posted on autoracinganalytics.com, along with all the Cup Series speed data that's already on there for you guys. Um, But that'll be getting up there, I believe, next week. I think I'm going to put it out there. But I wanted to talk about it on the podcast first to give you guys some incentive to come over here and listen to this, because y'all got to tell more of your friends about this podcast so we get more listeners. (laughs) But 
if nobody's tell their friends, I'm just going to have to only put data here, I guess. I, I don't know what to do. So you guys are going to come here and listen to me talk about restarts now. Um, anyway, the restarts. Um, data, get it in front of me. Ben, have you looked at this sheet yet? Because I sent it to you. Have, have you looked at it? Yeah, I looked it over a little bit. Okay. Well, if you've looked at it, then I won't, I won't quiz you on it. Um, it is not Ross Chastain leading the, uh, the category of positions net on restarts this year. In fact, he's incredibly middle of the road because of a dreadful restart performance at Phoenix. He lost 22 positions at Phoenix, and that is taking him completely out of the running um, for the time being for restarter of the year. He'll probably get back up there eventually. But for now, he sits at just plus two. The guy who just two seasons ago, I think it was, maybe three, was nearly the bottom of the barrel for positions net on restarts. Currently leads the category. Bubba Wallace, plus 38 on the season. Great performance by him and Freddie Kraft this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, restarts are obviously a huge part of NASCAR now with all the stage cautions and whatnot. And obviously with certain tracks being real difficult to pass at, a lot of times restarts are kind of your best opportunity to gain some track position. So for Bubba to be uh, the best restarter, at least in terms of gaining position, that's definitely huge for that team's track position hopes. Yeah, and uh, I, I think obviously there's some, there's some quirks to the data. We'll go over that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, for starters, this season, I am only measuring the non-drafting ovals for restarts. Last year, we measured all tracks. I've decided that that's not the best way to do it. I'd rather measure it on just the non-drafting ovals. So we're taking... Uh, Mm -hmm. speedways and road courses out of the equation. I think that's a good move going forward. Um, So that's what we'll be doing. Um, Furthermore, we talked about this before. Bubba Wallace has a tendency to find himself in some bad pit road situations. So when a caution comes out and his pit crew makes a mistake, that does send him back into the field with a faster car. That's an opportunity to make up more positions a little bit easier. So that could be inflating his numbers. Again, something to look at with just a grain of salt. Um, but nonetheless, he's eight positions clear of second place in the lineup who we'll talk about in a moment. But one thing I like to see out of Bubba is his numbers are very consistent across the board. You look at the races we've had so far, he's got three, he's got three races, four races actually, in which he's gained between seven and 10 positions on the restart. And then he's got three other races. Um, in which he's gained three, one, and two positions respectively, and that's his season. He doesn't have any massive outlier races where he just lost a ton of positions or gained a bunch of positions. He's just very consistently picking off a solid number each week. Um, And so that's a very sustainable line um, that he can carry throughout the season. Right now, he's on trajectory. We're a third of the way through the season. He's going to have some pretty big numbers. i 170 positions on the year maybe i I haven't done the actual math i'm just get i'm just Mm. guessing on the number of positions uh or number of races we have to go but i could figure it out i I probably should but he's on a very solid trajectory as the year goes on yeah for sure um yeah like i said definitely good for for that team's hopes um and kind of going back to what you said about some of that maybe being inflated uh due to the pit road issues they've had this year. I think that's still probably a comforting stat to see for that team, right? Because that gives that pit crew almost a little bit of like a, call it like a 
insurance policy almost because you know um, even if they make a mistake and lose some track position, you have a driver who's capable of getting those positions on restarts, even if it's you know running against cars that maybe aren't necessarily as competitive as some of the guys racing up in the top five. Uh, you still know that you have a driver who isn't going to kind of get stuck back there um, or maybe is less likely to get just stuck back there because they can't do anything on restarts. Yeah, that that's a good way to look at it. Um, the second guy on this list has actually missed quite a few races. Um, but nonetheless, he's got good numbers, uh, gaining 13 position or no, 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 gaining 17 positions at Martinsville. Um, and then being absent for a while, currently replaced by Josh Berry, Alex Bowman is plus 30 on the year. Quite surprising to see him up there. Um, whether or not that will continue when he comes back, we'll have to wait and see. Um, obviously his numbers are inflated by that big gain at Martinsville. So we'll just see where those numbers progress as the season goes on. Don't want to put too much stock into that just yet. The next guy on the list, not surprising at all. One of the top restarters a year ago, Eric Jones has currently gained 29 positions on the year. Um, just to quick rattle off a few of these guys, then Chase Elliott. Martin Trex Jr., Ty Gibbs, Kyle Larson, Tyler Reddick, William Byron, and Denny Hamlin. Those are your top 10. Right below them, Michael McDowell, uh, 11th plus 14. Ben, who stands out to you on that list? Uh, Ty Gibbs, actually. And I only say this because typically, uh, and I think Dale Jr. has talked about this, and in my experience, I can definitely agree. Um, when you're a rookie in a different in a new series, a new car, um, restarts kind of tend to be the last thing that you get good at in your progression, right? Because being aggressive on restarts takes a pretty high comfort level with that race car, um, you know, and the track you're on, things like that, right? And so, seeing Ty Gibbs, um, what is that in sixth overall in yeah sixth in re- positions net, yeah. That's really promising for a young rookie driver um, because, like I said, usually that's kind of the last thing that drivers figure out uh, when they're first moving into a new series. So the fact that he's already that high uh, and he's only, you know, I guess, what, 12 races into his rookie season, obviously he ran, you know, probably a little less than half the season last year. But even still, you know, that, that's still not even a full season he has under his belt in the Cup Series. So. For him to already be this solid on restarts is definitely a, a good sign for uh, for him and for everyone at JGR, really, who's invested in his long-term success. Absolutely. And before we go over and look at retention rate, I want to take a moment um, just to talk about last year's restarter of the year, Ross Chastain, who's currently just plus two on the year. Let's all not not sleep on him too early. Because in the past two weeks, Dover and Kansas – that guy has gained 31 positions on restarts between the two weeks, 19 at Kansas, 12 at Dover. Just a matter of time before that one car's back up the list. Uh, Denny Hamlin has gained 19 positions in that time, um, another one of the high ones these past two weeks. So probably going to be those two right back up at the top of the list along with Eric Jones eventually once it all sorts itself out. But Bubba making himself a player on the list. Let's move over to retention rate now. Ben, do you know who's the top standings for retention rate right now? That would be Kyle Larson. Absolutely. I harped on Larson's restarts a year ago. 
And you were quick to shut me down in our preseason <laughs> podcast that he has been good on restarts before and that it was just an off year. And what do you know? Larson is currently got an, a retention rate of 88% on restarts. That's outstanding. Well done, Kyle Larson. Yeah, and I remember from his championship season, 2021, um, I think he led the series in retention rate. And I don't believe, wasn't super high in um, positions net, but you know that was because he was running up front so much in the top three that it's kind of hard for him to gain a lot of positions on restarts. Um, and so now that you know we're, this year, we're seeing him running up front pretty much every week. Um, I think you're kind of starting to see the a similar trend kind of reemerge where, you know, he's still obviously he was top 10 um, in positions net, but, um, you know, seeing him number one in retention uh, and obviously having fast cars pretty much every week, running up front every week, um, you know, it just it goes to show that when that car is up front, when he can be up front, uh, he's very solid, very consistent on the restarts. Um, you know, maybe he isn't going to be that guy who, goes and has a big, you know, 10 position or five, 10 position restart, uh, like Ross Chastain might, but he's more similar to, I think, William Byron in the sense that he's consistent with his restarts and he's kind of able to consistently at least maintain that position, even if he's maybe not gaining, you know, five spots on one attempt. Yeah, I think that's, Absolutely spot-on analysis right there. Larson's lead currently in the retention rate category is absolutely massive. 88% retention rate for Larson. Uh, maintaining position on restarts 88% of the time is what that means to those of you who aren't, aren't familiar with retention rate. The next guy down is Alex Bowman, uh, who is at 81%, followed by Byron, Hamlin, Wallace, Chase Elliott, Tyler Reddick, Ross Chastain, Martin Trick Jr., Brad Keselowski, and Eric Jones, your top 11 drivers there. Who stands out on that list outside of Kyle Larson? Honestly, to me, I see a lot of the usual players on this list. Yeah, obviously someone who's really kind of sticking out like a sore thumb uh, in both categories was Alex Bowman. Um, and I only say that before the Bowman fans get mad at me. Um, I only say that because if you look back to last year, um, his total positions net on restarts was minus 19, and his retention rate was just 59%. Right? Bowman and, was 28th in the Cup Series for retention rate a year ago. Right. So um, definitely, and even the year before that, I should say, in 2021, um, he was better than in 2022, but was still not even top 10 in either positions net or retention rating right so alex bowman historically has not been an elite restarter um which is why you touched on it earlier when we were talking about positions net that we should probably pump the brakes on this a little bit you know because we're still pretty early in the season uh we had a track in martinsville pretty recently that is very um lane heavy so to speak um when it comes to restart retention um, and, and then you also had Dover too, which is similar, even though Bowman wasn't racing at Dover. Um, but you know, when you have a couple of tracks like that, that are really lane sensitive like that, and you see a really big discrepancy between one lane and another, um, it, it's important to kind of consider that, um, and kind of and understand. I should, mention, I should mention real quick, Ben, mm. that the lane, the, the lane, uh, dominance isn't as big of a deal. Um, as it once was, because 
uh, we're able to account for that now because of the choose. So restarts are measured mm-hmm. from right before they choose to two laps following the green flag. Um, so it, the lane thing kind of is factored into if they made the right choice or not. That's true. Yeah, that's true. So I guess just thought I'd so yeah, you that said you just know, before so that everybody's the familiar with how it's being calculated. Yeah, so you said it starts just before the choose. Yeah. Yep. Right before they choose is where the position's calculated. And then your that's your start position, and then your end position is two laps after the green flag. Right. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, that definitely um kind of helps to negate the the lane choice issue a little bit. Um but yeah, either way, I think you kind of have to wait and see a little bit with Bowman to see did he really just figure something out on restarts this year? Um, you know, is it a product of having faster cars and now he's able to be a little bit more consistent on restarts? Um or is this just kind of like a, a flash in the pan type of thing early in the season and he's going to start to regress as the year goes on? I don't have a for sure answer. Um, my kind of gut says that he's going to start to regress a little bit, you know, maybe fall around the bottom half of the top 10 in some of these categories, maybe just like a tick outside the top 10. Uh, it's kind of where I'd expect him to end up, you know, maybe halfway through the regular season, getting closer towards the playoffs. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what he's able to do. Absolutely. It'll be a very interesting story to follow when he eventually does uh, get back in the car. Um, one thing I did want to mention, because I just looked to to actually see, with Larson having such a high retention rate, how many restarts he's lost positions on. Do you have a guess how many restarts Larson's lost positions on this year? I would think it can't be more than, like, two. It, it would be four. Four restarts. Four. Kyle Larson has not maintained his position. So that's a pretty solid effort uh, by Mr. Kyle Larson for this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I also I, I feel like I should mention this because I give Ricky Stenhouse Jr. so much credit that his restarts this year have not exactly been Hall of Fame worthy. <laughs> um, just, just thought I'd throw that out there. We're currently a coin flip on if Stenhouse maintains his position on restarts. But Still getting the finishes, so, you know, there's a few different ways to get to the same result. Probably could have it easier if he was getting restart, getting better restarts, but uh, not the case right now. Look at that. There's even more room to grow for Stenhouse. He could be a race winner with just a couple minor tweaks, guys. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I think that pretty much sums up the restart discussion, unless you got some other guys you want to point out before we start talking about uh, the next race coming up at Darlington, an exciting racetrack. Can't wait for that one. Yeah, no, I think um, just to touch on Ricky real quick, um, obviously he's running a lot better now this year than they did last year. Um, and, you know, whether some of that's coming from strategy or, or what, uh, I can't say for sure because that car still hasn't been um, particularly fast this year. Um, so, I mean, I think part of that drop just has to do with the fact that they're probably on average running a good bit higher than maybe where that car is actually there actually should be running so to speak so um, no that's actually a really really good point i had kind mm-hmm. of forgotten to mention that, that that will dictate some of these numbers of if there's a lot of guys that like to stay out on re, uh, stay out and make crazy strategy calls there's a tendency that their numbers are going to get dropped like for mm-hmm. example noah gregson is currently last in restart numbers i think a lot of that is obviously him being a rookie um, but also that's a team that likes to make aggressive strategy calls. Stenhouse is just running better than his car. 
Same for Corey LaJoy. Corey LaJoy ranks very low in all these numbers, and I attribute a lot of that to him just outrunning his car. And then mm-hmm. on restart, he's getting swamped because there's not a whole lot he can do. Um, yeah, a, a very good point. Glad that you brought that up. <laughs> uh, that being said, let, let's get into our, our Darlington preview. A fantastic racetrack. I don't really classify it as a mile and a half um, as far as like best mile and a half discussion, but it's an intermediate track nonetheless. So that's the data we'll be using uh, to discuss potential uh, race winners for this weekend. Ben, I'll let you go first. Who you got on your your list to watch this weekend? Yeah, so I think the first person we have to have on our list here is, of course, Denny Hamlin. Boom! Bingo. That's a hit. Yep. I mean, he's fourth in median lap rank in the fall race. Darlington has just historically been a great track for him. Um, and then I think this year he is second in median lap rank on non-drafting ovals, and he's first in median lap rank on intermediates. Uh, so that 11 car has been blindingly quick, um, com- coming off a win here in Kansas, so they got the momentum on their side. Uh, so I really think the only thing that can really stop that team from uh, being in contention for the win this weekend would be themselves, really. Yeah, I think you're spot on there. And I'm going to be super boring and pick the, pick the other most obvious guy possible. And that's the guy that he barely beat this weekend, Kyle Larson. Notoriously loves the high line. Going to Darlington seems like a great fit. Um, has had some great battles there before. Didn't remember that great finish we had back in the... Gen 6 car with Hamlin and Larson at Darlington. That was a good one where Larson thought that he would just try to do the the wall ride that Chastain pulled before it was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but Larson has had good speed this year. Um, on non-drafting ovals, he is the fastest car per median lap rank. Um, as for the uh, intermediate tracks, he ranks fourth. He's had a few sketchy results uh, as far as speed goes on intermediate tracks, but recently uh, it's only been up. Um, obviously at Dover, that that was a car that crashed out and then the third fastest car at Kansas. So uh, good numbers there. Um, he's been fast in the past. What are his numbers? Hang on a second. Let me get that back in front of me. Um, if we look at the spring race uh, for Darlington, not a whole lot we can pull from that. He was fourth fastest in that race. And then the fall race, I believe they had issues that weekend. So he mm-hmm. doesn't data there. Um but it, it's Darlington. That's kind of a place that Larson's always had figured out. Uh, and his cars had speed there. Um, all, it, his cars had speed on the intermediate tracks all, all season. And with Darlington being a track that's so hard to pass at, that, ret- that first and retention rate is going to come in real handy um, because Larson is not going to be giving away free free track position. Yeah, and I think um, next person that I would probably want to talk about um, this one might come as a little bit of a surprise to some people when they first hear it, but uh, when you take a second to think about it, it really won't be a surprise. Um, and that's 22 of Joey Logano. Um, yes, obviously, that's a great call. Right, right. Obviously won the race in the spring, was second in median lap rank, and was second in median lap rank in the fall as well. Um, so last year obviously had really, really good speed at both of these races. And you know, this year we've talked about it a lot. Ford in general uh, and Team Penske being pretty off. Uh, Joey sitting twentieth in median lap rank on non-drafting ovals right now. So that's obviously not a great sign for that team, right? But I think Joey Logano has shown his ability to 
you know, finish a little bit higher than maybe what that car deserves. Um, obviously, that team's strategy is usually pretty solid. Um, and honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to see them come out with some legit speed at um, at Darlington. Obviously, Ford's been a little bit better on some of the, the shorter tracks. And while Darlington's not necessarily a short track by any means, it's also not a traditional mile and a half like you touched on at the beginning of this segment. So, yeah, would, well, you have to take into, you got to, sorry to cut you off. You got to take into consideration that like Darlington, it races like an intermediate track, but mechanical grip is more important there than most places because it's so slick. Mm-hmm. Um, and because aerodynamically you're seemingly always in dirty air because it's so narrow and everybody's running the same line. So if there was an intermediate type track that the Fords are going to be good at, this is probably the one, um, this and Nashville, I guess would be your two solid opportunities for the Fords. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, uh, I think Joey Logano is definitely someone to watch for the win this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. He was in my second tier list of guys for the win to wrap up my first tier. Um, super boring going with the one car, Ross Chastain. Uh, Chastain's always been good at Darlington. He was really, really fast here in the spring, fastest car for median lap rank, and then wrecked himself on a restart. Um, in the fall, uh, he's 13th in median lap rank. I don't remember what happened in that race and why he wasn't up there, but it's really not going to scare me off because looking at this year's data, um, that car is the second fastest on intermediate tracks behind just Denny Hamlin and on the non-drafting ovals. He ranks right up there with the best of them again, fourth in that category. Chastain's going to have a solid car. He's really, really good at Darlington. You think back to his very first race in a solid car, that Chip Ganassi 42 almost had it won before he made what would be, what we would come to learn is just a Ross Chastain type mistake racing Kevin Harvick. Um, and the man's going to be aggressive. He's not afraid to make passes. He's a good restarter at a track where there's likely to be lots of cautions and a very difficult track to pass on. He's not afraid to put them two wide or three wide when he probably shouldn't. And I think that's characteristic that's going to come in clutch at Darlington and has in the past. So he is going on my list of potential winners this weekend. Ben, who else you got this time? Yes. Yeah, so someone else I'm looking at as a potential winner is uh, Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch. Another was- hit. Yeah, he was third in median lap rank in the spring, uh, was first in median lap rank in the fall. Um, I believe the fall race was when he blew an engine, right, while leading? Yes, yes, it was. Right, yeah, so uh, Kyle Busch, really, really good at Darlington, of course. Um, the Tyler Reddick in the eight car last year in the spring race was fifth in median lap rank. Um, so that eight car has been fast at this track just last year. Um, you know, Chevy as a whole obviously has been really good this year so far. Um, Kyle this year though has not been great on the the non drafting ovals. Uh, he's down around I think 15th, 16th, uh, in terms of median lap rank on non drafting ovals. So, uh, haven't had the consistent speed, uh, so far this year, which I think is kind of something we expected out of RCR. Um, just kind of that inconsistency in speed. We saw it last year with. Tyler Reddick as well. Um, but yeah, I think this can be one of those tracks that uh, they could be a, in contention for the win for sure. It's, it's similar to Auto Club just in terms of the roughness of the surface um, and the low grip. Um, and obviously that team, that car was really good at, uh, at Auto Club and even Kansas. I mean, 
that car was pretty solid in Kansas before he got, uh, you know, caught up in that, or he got, he spun himself, I guess, and uh, hit the inside wall there. Uh, so it seems like with some of these hotter, slicker tracks, uh, Kyle and that eight team tend to kind of show a little bit more speed. So that could very well be the case this weekend as well. Yeah. And uh, Kyle was on my list as well. But because of Kyle Busch's speed that you mentioned a year ago, fastest car for median lap in the fall uh, before blowing an engine, third fastest car in the spring, my next driver is actually just a collective pair of two, uh, which is Truex and Bell. Um, because of Kyle's speed, I look to those guys and I think, well, if you look at the fall race, Bell had the third fastest car, Truex had the fifth fastest car. That's a lot of Toyotas. The Toyotas in general have been fast. We know Hamlin's really good here. Bush was really good here a year ago. Um, I think it's unlikely that those two won't be fast. Um, and so it, it's certainly one of them is going to be up there. I'm not really sure which one of them, um, but at least one of them's got to be in the mix uh, come the end of this race. I don't know. I, I'd probably give Trex the favor um, in that head-to-head just because of his experience. And Darlington seems to be a track that plays into the hands of the veteran drivers. Um, but I, I think that it's unlikely that we won't see either of those two up there. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think one more person I probably want to touch on um, would be William Byron. Uh, obviously, last year in the spring uh, was you know a lap away from winning that race before getting booted into the wall by Logano. Um, he's sixth in median lap rank for both those races, so not necessarily elite speed, but definitely very solid speed. Um, and then this year... Uh, he ranks fifth in median lap rank on non-drafting ovals. And if you go down to best lap rank, he is first on both non-drafting ovals and on intermediates. So They in got terms that of, short run speed down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In terms of just that raw, outright speed on the short runs, uh, really nobody's been better than the 24. Uh, they've just had a little bit of trouble you know, keeping consistent speed in that car. Um, but I think they're also going to be a threat for the win this weekend, um, just as good as they were there last year. And you know, this year, they're definitely uh, a step above. Um, so look for that 24 team as well to keep the momentum going and have another really fast car. Yeah, that's another great shout to a good restarter there and a guy with a lot of speed this year, William Byron. Another one on my list. Uh, that gets me to the end of my list. I've got just one more driver uh, that I think is a legitimate contender for the win, and that's Tyler Reddick. Um, Reddick, a dirt track guy, loves a hot, slick racetrack. Um, he's a, a driver that has had success at here before. Um, a guy that loves to run the high line. As for the data itself, it's tough to decide what do you look at. You look at Reddick a year ago, his uh, speed in the spring was a fifth, in the fall, a ninth, but that's the eight car. Well, we know that the Toyotas were fast. Either way, those are two fast cars, either if it's coming from the driver or from the team a year ago. Uh, Reddick's going to be in the mix, so he's the last one on my list of winners for those reasons, just because I think he's a he's talented at this, tra- at this style of track, and, and he's certainly going to have a fast Toyota for him. Um, six fastest on the uh, intermediate tracks this year per median lap rank. Ben, anybody else you got in the mix for winners other than those, I believe, eight drivers? I think that pretty much covers my list of potential winners. Perfect. And what do you know? Again, we have the exact same list of drivers without discussing it. This is quite (laughs) remarkable. We seem to do this every single week. Ben, uh, we're going to we're going to talk about some underdogs 
and then we'll come back and we'll pick a race winner and then we'll call it a week. So uh, I'm going to go first for the underdogs because I want to essentially pick myself. As you guys know, um, now we're doing a little bit of a little bit of work with Legacy Motor Club. Not much yet, um, but that'll kind of start up here in the summer. Don't worry, Auto Racing Analytics is going absolutely nowhere. Eric Jones, uh, guy that we need to watch this weekend for a host of reasons. I'm concerned about Legacy's support from Chevy now that they've decided they're going to Toyota for next year, mm-hmm. uh, for the rest of the season. But that being said. The correlation between last year's spring race and fall race at Darlington is extremely high. Like you look at who was fast in that spring race, it's nearly the same as the guys in the fall race. Um, So to think that we're not going to see high correlation coming back in the spring would be foolish. Uh, Jones had the eighth fastest car in the spring, seventh fastest car in the fall, wanted here in the fall on some late race shenanigan restarts. A win's a win. Still got it done on the old tires. Impressive work by him. Uh, he's a great driver, a great restarter, currently third in positions net on the season. Uh, I got Eric Jones as a big underdog this weekend looking for a top 10. I would be unsurprised to see the 43 car up there. I like that uh, Eric Jones pick. Obviously, uh, Legacy Motor Club's been a good bit off this year compared to where they were last year, which I think we can just chalk up to um, the bigger teams getting a better grasp on this car, specifically Hendrick and, and Joe Gibbs. Um, and also, honestly, I mean, maybe even that switch uh, to Toyota, because even though it hadn't been announced yet, I think it was had been pretty well known. I mean, Denny hinted at it on his podcast last week. Um, so I think that was, you know, probably pretty well known information. So you can all, it makes it makes you wonder a little bit if, you know, negotiations had broken down with Chevy pretty early on and Chevy had then kind of decided to limit their manufacturer support. Uh, because of that, but can't say that for sure. Um, but I think as far as underdogs go, the next person I'm looking at would be Michael McDowell. Uh, Michael McDowell was 10th in median lap rank uh, in the fall race. Uh, wasn't quite as good in the spring race, was only 19th in median lap rank. Um, but like we were talking about earlier, we think that this could be a track where we could see Ford uh, being a little bit more competitive. Um and Michael McDowell, uh, like you said, really, really good restarter, picked up said 22 positions right in Kansas this past weekend. Yeah, 22 positions at Kansas alone. He's plus 14 on the season, which places him 11th in the category. Yeah, I mean, 22 positions in one race is unbelievable, regardless of uh, where you're running, really. Um, so, yeah, I think Michael McDowell's a good underdog pick uh, this weekend. And those are the only underdogs that I have, guys. Uh, you know, Darlington's just not really a place where you see the little guy pop up. The most talented drivers and teams tend to rise to the top um, because this is really a driver's racetrack. And so that brings us to our win picks. A driver's racetrack, you're going to need a very, very good driver um, because they're dictating a lot of the success here. Ben, who you got for the win this weekend? Mm. You see, I really want to pick the Denny Hamlin two in a row, but I don't think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to go with Ross Chastain for the win this year. Um, oh, oh, my. Oh. <laughs> Stolen my pick. Uh, uh, you hate to see it, I guess. but You really do, but it's a great pick. Go ahead and tell us why. Yeah, no, I mean, he was first in median lap rank uh, last spring. Um He's been real, real fast uh, all year. 
Uh, got some good momentum going. It's fourth in non-median lap rank on non-drafting ovals this year uh, and second in median lap rank on intermediates this year. So uh, one car has been really fast. Definitely put to bed any of those concerns I had early in the year about if Trackhouse could maintain that level of speed that they had last year. Obviously, they can with the one car. Um, and yeah, like you said, Darlington is a driver's track. Obviously, we know Ross Chastain, very aggressive, very talented race car driver. So um, looking for Ross Chastain to pick up that first win of the year here at Darlington. And seeing as how you've gone with Ross Chastain, who was my 1A, I'm going to have to go with my 1B, uh, which is obviously Denny Hamlin. Winner a week ago, uh, the fastest car on intermediate tracks so far this season per median lap rank, second fastest car on the non-drafting ovals. A lot of success at uh, Darlington over the years, particularly in the Xfinity series, but a lot of cup success as well. Um, Denny Hamlin was fourth fastest here in the fall. Not quite up there in the spring, but really that doesn't matter. Um, Denny Hamlin, just historically very successful at this racetrack. The numbers all point his way. An elite restarter. There's no reason to pick against Denny Hamlin. Uh, he's on a roll right now. He said that team's going to be white hot right now, and they certainly are. I could see a win coming for that 11 team this weekend. We've put all our chips in on the ones this weekend. We'll see if they come up well. Ben, um, I think that wraps it up, unless you got anything else you want to talk about before we shut this puppy down. No, I think that just about covers it for me. Outstanding. Ben, where can the people find you? Uh, everybody can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at BenAmato24A. Um, racing season's getting real close. Already started with the, the NASCAR divisions at my track. Um, I'm going to be doing some vlogs when my racing starts on YouTube, trying it out. Haven't really done that before. So just, you know, seeing what comes of it. So uh, keep on the lookout for that. I'll definitely be posting about them on Twitter and Instagram when uh, when I get them posted. So keep keep an eye out for that. Check out the soon to come vlogs. Awesome. And if you managed to find this podcast without following the Twitter, congratulations. You're really something special. Go ahead and subscribe to this podcast and then go follow the Twitter at, at AR underscore analytics. That's auto racing analytics on Twitter. Also, while you're over there, you want to like retweet everything like particularly the podcast, like people know about it and they come listen to us um, and all of our washed opinions on racing statistics. That'd be great. Thanks. Appreciate <laughs> you. Um, as for auto racing analytics this week, you're going to continue to get the same stuff you come to know and love and expect from us. Uh, new on the website this week, I got the 2023 speed data up there for you guys. So you can go ahead and flip through those averages. Uh, there'll be even more of that to come as this season goes on. Eventually, we'll get road course data up there once we get some more road course races under our belts. Obviously, the 2022 data is still there. Uh, in the next couple weeks, I'll have Xfinity and truck data up as well. And I'm planning to put the restart data um, on the website probably next week just because I want you fools to have to come listen to the podcast to hear the restart data first. So the more you come listen to our podcast because it's great. It's fun over here. Um, I think that's it. Oh, yeah. I mean, you'll get your usual fifth, uh, had the final 50 laps gone green graphic to show you what median lap rank distances are. Um, and then I'll probably post some speed stuff about Darlington before that race happens about last year's races. Um, but I think that's it. Ben, final thoughts. Uh, my final thoughts. Uh, 
cars tour carson cavapo man um i think that's three wins in a row now for him one at ace speedway um on friday which going into that race he's talking about how he has a lot of work to do as a driver at that track and how it's a track that he struggles at and all this and then he goes sits on pole wins the race um that can that gets good he's uh if josh berry gets a cup ride next year look at him potentially filling that number eight seat um and if he does that man he he's gonna be good i mean he's the cars tour is no joke that's legit you know professional racing you know a lot of those guys do that for a living uh and a lot of those guys have been racing a real long time and you know carson's still really young and he's dominating that series right now um so yeah i mean watch out for him he's i think he's a name that we're going to be hearing a lot uh in the future yeah that's a great final thought right there definitely definitely could see that exact scenario playing out uh, as for me, my final thought is this, uh, the legacy motor club news, them heading over to Toyota. I think that's a great move. Jimmy Johnson really mm-hmm. steering the ship well over there. Um, it's so important to be a partner team in the cup series anymore, because it, you think about where they are right now within Chevy, you've got Hendrick, you've got track house, you've got RCR. Those are the main partner teams. And so then that places probably colleague the fourth team and then legacy the fifth team in the pecking order so that's like the 11th and 12th cars in chevy's line they Mm -hmm. switch over to toyota and they're probably the seventh and eighth cars in line and have the potential to become a partner team whether or not that's actually going to happen i don't know but it's certainly on the table i'd be surprised if toyota doesn't want to make them a partner team seeing as they only have six partner teams in the cup series right now so a smart move by jimmy johnson um I'm surprised and disappointed that Chevy didn't make an effort to keep their seven-time champion or a better effort to keep their seven-time champion happy and within the fold. Um, but I think that this could spell or could could set a uh, legacy on a good path um, for some future success. The five-year plan for them, I don't know what it is, but it certainly looks good um, with this move. It, it's a strategically sound move. It just mm-hmm. it, from the outside, it makes a lot of sense, and I'm excited to see see where it goes for for Jones and Gregson in particular. This has been episode 15 of Positions Net, or 14, 14, not 15 yet. We're at 14. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see y'all next week. <laughs>